Andy. With the open! Everybody move back. Move back. Please pull through. You're right. Roll him over. Never mind. Never mind. Come on, Switch. 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 welcome you all to church with a kissing scene, but that's The Sandlot. It's a great movie. It's a classic. Uh, what I want to be talking about today is uh, what, what crazy things have you done for love? You know, we saw Squince there, who's this character in the movie Sandlot, who's in love with this lifeguard, uh, beautiful woman who's older, and her name is Wendy Peppercorn. And so we see Squince do something crazy out of the name of love. Have you ever done something crazy out of love? Some of you are maybe thinking, yeah, I proposed, you know, that's pretty crazy, that was terrifying. And then I hope you look to your wife and say, your wife says back to you, you know, I pushed a baby into this world, so I mean, that's pretty crazy, that's love. Uh, that's even crazier that we have the ability to do that. But what's something crazy? Love. It drives us to do crazy things. But in this story, we see that Squints does it in a way that's very unacceptable. We're all about consent. You should not do this. Uh, but Squints tricks Wendy into kissing him, probably because he wants her to fall in love with him, and that's the only way he knew how. But we learned that in our Bible story today that we have a different story. We are coming to a similar pool. Now, this isn't the pool uh, like you would maybe remember from that scene or maybe from when you were a kid, packed with kids. It's fun. It's wild. The pool we get to come to today in our Bible reading is different. And so we will see that we will have this big say what statement as we enter the scene with the pool in the Gospel of John. We're in the middle of the series called Say What? And we're looking at the scandalous, the crazy, shocking statements that Jesus makes. And we try to make sense of it. And so we enter into the scene that's different from the movie Sandlot, but you'll see here in a little bit, similar in many ways. Right here in our next image, we have a scene that we're, Jesus is walking into. We read in the Gospel of John, chapter 5, that afterwards Jesus returned to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish holy days. Inside the city near the Sheep Gate was the pool of Bethesda with five covered porches. Now this pool looks very different. This pool was actually excavated in, 19, or excuse me, in the 1800s, around 1880. And so this pool, it's a holy site. More recently, it was found, and so for a long time, people didn't believe the story in the Gospel of John was true. But then, lo and behold, it was excavated and it was found. And so we get to see the story with a new light, that the story is true and something special happened here. Now, some believed uh, that people could come to this pool and they would be healed. It was called the Pool of Bethesda. Now, Bethesda comes from two words. It comes from Beth, and you can go back to the first slide there. 
perfect. Bethesda comes from the word uh, baith and hesed, and it literally means God's loving kindness. It's the pool where God's loving kindness exists. And so people in this time could come to this pool during the Jewish festivals. They could also stay there their entire lives. Um, they could come to this pool and receive healing. Now, there's two things that maybe the scholars believe as to why these people came. It was for healing, uh, but one group of people believed it was a Jewish site and that the water was God's spirit stirring up and healing people. But if we look to history, if you look to what scholars show us, it actually is under Roman occupation. And so this is no longer a Jewish holy site. It's now under Roman authority. And so this area, this pool of Bethesda, was taken over by a Roman cult. And it was dedicated to this false god, Escapolis. He's a god of healing, of truth, and prophecy. And it's a false Roman god. So now people are coming to this pool and receiving healing from somewhere else. Not from God's love and mercy and grace, but from a false god. And so this pool was considered a sanctuary where the Romans could dump all of these people who needed healing, and they could be out of sight, out of mind. Instead of coming to the pool and seeing all these young kids and it being fun and happy, we read this next verse who actually comes to the pool in this time. It's crowds of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, who lay on these porches. We see in this scene that as the waters start bubbling up during the Jewish festival, these sick people fight to be the first one into the water. Because the first one to the water is the one who would be healed. It's almost like that pandemic fight for toilet paper, but so much worse. <laughs> so much worse. These sick people are crawling over one another, fighting for one another, screaming out in desperation, all to touch the water, all to be first to the bubbles. And because it's a Jewish festival, there's so many people here. A lot of the people that are closest to the water are the ones who really don't need that healing. It's the ones that are far away who weren't able to get there first. And a lot of these people have been there for a very long time. We read here that this one man has been there for 38 years. Can you imagine sitting poolside for 38 years? It sounds pretty good, you know, if we were somewhere warm and fun. But this is a different part of the story. This man has watched time and time again other people receive his miracle of healing. And yet he remains there hoping to be saved, hoping for a miracle. And so Jesus arrives on this scene. It's supposed to be a festival. It's supposed to be a party, you know? So we've, we've got our, our party ball here. We're really excited. But it's a different story. Jesus walks onto this scene and he sees the desperation at this pool. He sees this water that is offering healing but no one's receiving healing. And so Jesus sit, walks into this place and sees this man. And the man doesn't even have to tell him how long he's been there. Jesus just knows. Jesus knew this man had been ill for a very long time. He was maybe the man that had been there the longest. And Jesus asked him this crazy, this crazy question, would you like to get well? Now, if you're like me, your first response is probably sarcastic. Of course, Jesus, that's why I'm here. You know, that's why I'm by the water. What do you think I'm doing here, Jesus? This man, Jesus, is a stranger to this sick man. Jesus just walks up, no introduction, and just says, 
you know, here I am. Would you like to be made well? And it's a very provocative question. You can go back one slide. It's a very provocative question that, that year after year this man wouldn't have seen wellness as something that was achievable. He's been looking at the same water, the same pool for 38 years. What I really think Jesus is doing in this moment is trying to grab his attention. Look at me. What's your pool? What's the thing that you have your eyes set on that you can't take your eyes off of that you think will provide you healing that just simply hasn't, that's left you empty? Oftentimes, I think we use these devices as distractions. Say, you know, this thing I thought would bring me healing, it hasn't. It's left me empty. Sometimes we look to our relationships in our lives and think, you know, they'll make me happy, they'll make me whole, they'll make me healthy, they'll heal me. I think families are great, but at the same time, if we're looking for our healing in the people we love, we're going to be left disappointed. We're looking at this pool. What's that pool for you? Jesus is asking this question, would you like to get well so that the man would stop looking there and draw his eyes to him? And so we read this man's response. Now he's looking at Jesus and he says this, I can't, sir. And these two words that this man says are so profound. It's him recognizing his limitations. I can't. So the greatest thing we could do is to know our limitations and know the power of God. One of the greatest losses we will experience is our need and our loss of knowing our limits. It drives us to humility. But what breaks my heart is this next verse. I have no one, Jesus. I have no one to put me in the water so I can't receive healing. Have you ever experienced that isolation? your need for healing, but seems like no one else sees it. No one else sees the hurt, whether that's physical or internal. No one will help me. And sometimes it's really hard to ask for help. But knowing that we can't heal ourselves, knowing we can't heal other people, but that Jesus says, look at me, is the entry point to which we look at this story. Jesus is offering something better. And Jesus says, not today. When this man says, someone will need to carry me to the water, Jesus says, no one needs to carry you to the water. Jesus told him, stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. What's fascinating is that Jesus doesn't ask this man to go down to the water to be healed. Jesus speaks healing into existence. That's power. That's God. So this water that everyone else was seeking wasn't working. Jesus doesn't need that water. Jesus speaks healing. And so we look at a story right before this Bible reading about another story about water. But this time, instead of a pool, it's in a well. And Jesus approaches a woman, she's a Samaritan woman at a well. She's experiencing not physical needs for healing, but she's experiencing needs for spiritual healing. And so Jesus replied to her, If you only knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me to give you living water. Have you asked for living water? Or are you still searching for all of these things that will supposedly bring you healing? 
Now, I, I totally believe in you know, medicine and therapy. These things are great for going through the healing process, but we're looking to something different, looking to something deeper. And so there's all these different kinds of water imagery in Scripture, but Jesus is the living water. If only she knew what Jesus has to offer you. If only you knew who Jesus was, you could receive this living water. And we're brought back to creation. When Jesus asks this question, would you like to get well? It's more than just physical healing. Jesus is saying, I want to take you back to the way you were created, the way things were intended to be before the sickness kind of clouded our lives. And so when Jesus asks, do you want to be made well? Jesus already knows the answer because he is the solution. We read in 1 John that Jesus is the word and the word was present at creation, during the time of creation. So Jesus, God spoke and creation happened. And so that's why Jesus has this power to heal. This healing, yes, this physical healing, this story is a miracle. A miracle this man has been waiting for for so long, but immediately we're hit with roadblocks. The Pharisees and religious leaders at this pool see this man standing and walking and they immediately call him out and says, you can't do that. We have all these religious laws and rules that say you cannot pick up your mat and walk on the Sabbath. You can't work on the Sabbath. The law doesn't allow you to carry that sleeping mat. But he replied, the man who healed me, who told me, pick up your mat and walk, who said such a thing as that they demanded. This man who was healed immediately doesn't take responsibility that, yes, he broke the Sabbath. He says, no, you shouldn't be worrying about me. You should be worrying about that guy that healed me. You see that this man doesn't even know Jesus' name. You'd think that after you would be healed physically, after 38 years of suffering and pain, the first thing you would ask is, who are you? But this man doesn't, and Jesus slips into the crowd. And now these religious leaders are asking him, tell us who it was that healed you. Not so they can praise him, but so they can go after him. Because he broke this great rule. There's no work on the Sabbath. But we have to remember that God works on the Sabbath. If we look to the Genesis story, humans are supposed to rest and worship God on the Sabbath. On the seventh day after God created the world, God rested. Because the work was done. And so humans, we get to represent and get to reflect on the Sabbath and get to experience Sabbath rest once a week. But that's our tradition. But we rest so that God can work. And so because Jesus healed on the Sabbath, he's claiming to be God. And the religious leaders have a problem with this. They're not excited about this. But if we jump to the end of John, we see the whole point for this. We read in John 5.10 that this man didn't know who Jesus was. We read that he didn't know the name of Jesus. But there is power in the name of Jesus. If you can go ahead and go to John 20.31. We read this here. These things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that believing in him, you will live by the power in his name. This man did not know the name of Jesus. He didn't know who he was who had, who had healed him. And yet Jesus still healed him. Now this leads to some different controversies that we see in Scripture. Oftentimes people will tell you, you know, 
your family member that's sick, that has cancer, they wouldn't be sick if they didn't sin. That's not right. That's not what Jesus' power represents. So we get to see that Jesus is something more. When we talk about healing and sickness, there's so many ways that it is twisted and turned. The power is in the name of Jesus, and we can hold on to that. Could everyone say the name of Jesus? Jesus. Say the name of Jesus one more time. Say it, Jesus. Jesus. There's power in that name. So when you are in need of healing, run to the name of Jesus, because it has power, not because of anything that we have done, but because of the work that Christ does, and the story is pointing to that power. We read that afterwards, Jesus found this man in an unlikely place. Instead of running to him, he's running to the temple. Now, this man would have been excluded from the temple because he was ill, he was sick, he was, um, he had, he was either couldn't move, he couldn't walk, and so the temple wasn't a place where he could be. He was excluded from it. We oftentimes read that, you know, the temple is this place where people can go to worship God. And so Jesus finds him a second time because Jesus' work isn't done. He finds this man in the temple because this man doesn't know who Jesus is. We read later in Mark that Jesus says this, or excuse me, in John chapter 2, that Jesus claims to be this temple. So again, this man is going to this, this pool where he didn't find healing. And now he's going to the temple maybe to find a different kind of healing. And so Jesus says to this man, you know, now you are well, so stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. It's a pretty bold statement. But Jesus tells us that you can tear down this physical temple that this man is in that has taken 46 years to build and I will rebuild it in three days. Jesus in this moment is talking about his resurrection. He is the temple. He is the place where this man can experience true healing, true forgiveness, and a new life. The life that is from the life-giving water. Jesus is talking about himself. He's the sacrifice that's made at the temple. You know, during this time in the Old Testament, people would bring sacrifices to God at the temple. And maybe that's what this guy had in mind in this story. But Jesus, we read in Isaiah, it's by his stripes that we, it's by his stripes that we are made whole. Jesus becomes that sacrifice so that we can have access to God for healing. Jesus didn't die on the cross so that we would never get sick. Jesus died on the cross so that we could experience a new way of being spiritually and holy well. Jesus says later in scripture, now that you, later in this verse, now that you have stopped sinning before something else may happen to you. You can go back to that one slide. I can look at that statement and think, well, it's the man's sin, sins that have led to this sickness. But that's simply not true. That kind of theology is dangerous. That if you're sinning, that makes you sick. That is not true. Your loved ones that are sick that has nothing to do with your sin. It has to do with the evil in this world. And we need to stop telling people that when they are sick, it's because of their sinful condition. Because it's not true. It has no place in worship. Sometimes you will even hear people quote, Jesus, out of context, 
when he says, your faith has made you well. They take it and they say, well, you just didn't have enough faith. Your loved one died because you didn't pray hard enough. That is absolutely untrue. Your faith makes you well because Christ dwells within you. Christ is the temple in which we live, in which we are healed, in which we were saved. Jesus says, I want to do more than heal you. I want to save you. I can do what this pool couldn't offer you. I am more than this you know, temple building that you have built. I am more than the hoops that you have to jump through to receive healing. I am more than the religious practices that you think are going to make you whole. I am what makes you whole, Jesus says. You no longer have to follow all these rules to find me. I'm right here. Look at me. Look at what I'm offering you. It's so much greater. But you have a sickness that I need to take care of, Jesus says. So turn away from that sin and look to me. God in the flesh, Jesus Christ, has come to deal with our sin. And we read in John 3.17, right after the most famous verse that most people know, is John 3.16. Jesus says, God sent his son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. Jesus says, I call you to stand. Pick up your mat and walk. I call you to stand because I, later in this story, will fall. I will fall to death on the cross. So that you can stand, so that you can pick up your mat, and so you can walk. That's the hope I have for you. That's the promise I have for you. Believe in me and receive it. When we surrender to our limits and say, God, I can't. This isn't working. This pool isn't working. We will experience new life. When we realize we too are sick, I'm not talking about physical sickness. I'm talking about internal spiritual sickness. We will receive healing. When we turn to God and are brought low in humility before God, we are given forgiveness. We are brought peace. And so we're brought to a new pool. Remember that name, Bethesda? House of God's loving kindness. That's grace. That's the temple. That's the house that God brings you into. Whatever experience you're, whatever things you're experiencing right now, whatever place in your life is in need of healing, whether that's your heart, whether that's your body, whether that's your mind, whether that's your soul, know that Jesus breaks all those rules that we put in place, all those walls, all those distractions. We read this in verse 18. My Father is always working and so am I. That's a promise for you today that Jesus is working. Do not head to this water, but instead receive living water that's offered for you today. And so as you process through these things that you need healing from, I know it's hard to look at our sin, but we don't want to look at it. God, their sins are greater than mine. I don't need healing. God, I've got it taken care of. I don't need healing. God, it's really not that bad. I'll be fine. Jesus says, no. I know you need me. Let me work. I'll never stop pursuing you. And so in the midst of the madness of our lives, Jesus is our miracle. The cross is the greatest sign for us. You are forgiven. You can receive healing, and I offer you life. Let's stand as we sing this song, and let's look to God. Amen.